And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. I paint because painting's obsession. Uh, it's this insatiable need to bring to life all the moods and emotions that are buried deep within me. Uh, it's also a desire to bring to life the visions that are dancing about in my head. My goal with art is to bring these emotions, these visions, to life as vividly as possible. And I think that's a, a big part of the obsession. It's this quest to create that perfect painting, the painting that captures it all. Will I ever create that perfect painting? Um, I don't know. I certainly start each painting with the greatest expectations, a hope that this is the one where it'll all come together, the mood, the emotions, that perfect balance of loose and tight brushwork. But, despite my best efforts, it's yet to happen. That perfect painting still remains elusive. And I think that's what drives me on to the next and the next. This is Bonus Material Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And we are here for episode 189, and it's a good one. Holy shit it is. Holy shit. Holy shit. Uh, this, our guest for this show is a, a painter and a writer and uh, a guy I interviewed 20 years ago. So this 20. is our 20-year catch-up. <laughs> Please welcome Gerald Brom. Yay! Yay! Thank you, thank you, guys. Glad, <laughs> very happy to be here. Thanks for uh, uh, for doing this. I know we have some technical stuff to begin with, but we're rocking now. Yep. And uh, uh, we want to get started by doing what we usually do and, and talk to you a little bit about you as a budding young artist, a um, little Brom. I know that from our last talk, you did a lot of moving around, right? That's true. Yes, I'm a I'm an army brat, so I had the Arab the opportunity to pretty much live all over the world and the United States and uh and it's something that I, you know, give a lot of credit to to my interest in art and interest in different cultures. Um, you know, it sort of gets in the blood and stays there, I guess. Was was that because being a child an uh I w I'm gonna assume an English speaking child in a foreign country, art is a universal language, correct? It's a way to sort of communicate with that. It culture. is. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit beyond that even. Um, you know, even in the States, uh, what art was or is, um, you know, I consider that my superpower. So when you go into an, uh, an arena of, of kids, you know, you move every three years in the military. If you have something you can do well, as, you know, as well as other kids or, or better than other kids, it, you know, it instantly gives you acceptance. So even though I wasn't doing art for acceptance, it's... It, helped me instantly find a group of kids, no matter where I lived, that I could bond with. Other creative kids, other kids that were into, you know, monsters and horror and fantastical, uh, you know, m movies, books, you name it. It kind of, it kind of, you know, we moved around a lot whenever I was a kid, and one of the issues that I had was finding, finding your identity in this new place. You know, figuring yeah. out, and something. You know, I remember there was a span where it's like you tried on different hats, different places you went because you didn't know who you were. But but by having a skill like that, it kind of instantly gives you an identity. It does. That's a, that's a much better way of saying it. And uh, it's also funny the 
the trying on different hats. So one of the nice things about moving every three years is is you you find out what works and doesn't work. So even though you know you kind of made a mess of your 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 social group in one area, you you get to start over fresh and and hopefully not make those same mistakes. It's like, it's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I re- yeah, I remember that cowboy phase didn't work out for me. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I actually changed uh, my name once or twice. Uh, uh, originally, I went by my first name, Gerald, and then I would move to a different place. And I go, no, I'm just going to be, you know, my middle name now, David. And then finally, it's like Brom. You know, Army kids call each other Brom, and then it's yeah. Brom stuck yeah. in high school. But it just caused confusion, you know, with people that have known me over the years because they don't quite know what to refer right. to me as. <laughs> Somebody's like, hey, David! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, that guy thinks you're David. Yeah. Um, did you know, were you aware of how special that growing up was and, and how uh, uh, the, those skills that it taught you to be fluid and to be able, was it Frank Herbert said about survival is the ability to swim in strange waters? Sure. You know, one of the regrets when you get older is you look back and you didn't realize what to enjoy in the moment. It's only later that, you know, you look back and go, oh, how special this was or that was, and you just kind of took things for granted. Um, Looking back, of course, it's just like, wow, no kidding. Every You know, I got to live in Hawaii. I got to live in Germany. I got to live in Japan. Um, At the time, it just, that's what we did. You know, Dad was uh, in the Air Force for a while, and then he was in the Army, and uh uh, yeah, I, I took it to granted to some degree, but at the same time, I have to say that I was always so excited to go to new places. It was never a like, oh, we got to leave this place now. It was like, wow, really? We're going to go live in Hawaii for three years. Um, we're going to live in Texas. We're going to, you know, go to Germany. Uh, so, you know, I think it really fit my fit my personality. I I love the excitement, and even today, it's whenever I live in one place for four or five years, I just get such an itch to to go to that next adventure. I, I'm, I'm interested because, you know, it's a it's a shared uh, family experience. Do you have siblings? I have an older brother. Mm-hmm. Is he an artist? He, he's not. He's, um, I mean, he was, he was creative in his own way. You know, he was in, did a bit of writing and whatnot, but uh, what was interesting about him, I mean, we were all odd birds, him and myself uh but he you know he really was into you know so much horror and fantasy and and mad magazine and Edgar rice bros and um robert e howard and monty python i like uh, this so brother he, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was great to have somebody three years ahead of me that was bringing this stuff into the house so it sort of got me a little ahead of the curve of things that was interested in. You know, he was reading Lord of the Rings. What is this Lord of the Rings thing? So, you know, there I am in fifth grade reading Lord of the Rings because the, um, they were available to me. And, you know, sure. I had somebody uh, exposing me to all these things that, you know, uh, even Frazetta, you know, the Frazetta books, he was reading, again, you know, the Robert E. Howard and Burroughs books with the Frazetta covers. So it was through... You know, his library that um, I was exposed to so many things that I ended up loving, you know, for my whole life. Including um, the artwork. Yes, absolutely, the artwork. Again, the, the covers, uh, you know, Frazetta was doing most of them. Uh, this would be the middle 70s, around 74 oh. to 76. Yeah, so it good was stuff. Frazetta in his prime, yes. Yeah, yeah, just amazing. How were, the, were, the, were your parents super supportive of that? Of the artwork? You know, they... 
I mean, not every parent what? wants to hear, I'm going to be an artist. Right. <laughs> or I like <laughs> monsters. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess there's a, there's a couple answers to that. that you know, they, they were always supportive, but in a way, you know, it's the 70s, and the way parents parented back then was just kind of, they just kind of turned kids loose, and they yeah. did what they did. I just don't remember them... You know, either disapproving or really approving. You know, occasionally it's like, oh, that's really cool. You know, Gerald just drew a bunch of severed heads, and um, <laughs> it, it, there was n- there was no negative reaction whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, there was a dose of reality uh, as far as you know what they perceived in, in their reality in their circle of friends. They didn't know anybody that ever made a living in as in art. So when I was going off to, I went to a two-year school in Atlanta, a really terrible school. But um, when I was leaving, uh, my dad, my dad's last words to me is like, if this art thing doesn't work out, you know, the the Air Force always treats an enlisted man really good. Yikes. So <laughs> that's about how much you know faith he had in in not so much my ability, but just the fact that anybody could make a living in art. Is is dad um, still around? Dad is, yeah, he's still around. So he's seen the success, and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a bit outside of his realm of 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 his understanding as a career and whatnot. So it's always just kind of a, 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 a again, it's just kind of like, yep, that's just the way things went. It, it's <laughs> I love that. <laughs> this is so uh, it, like my dad was a construction electrician. Yeah, and yeah, like he just didn't. Like you say, like he didn't, he didn't uh, dis- disapprove or anything, but he, he just, it just, it wasn't his world. Langley and his pictures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then, you know, it isn't until now when he's ninety that he kind of goes, "Oh yeah, you're you're good at that." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so uh, important. It's, it's, it's so true. Yeah, it's just outside of his world. Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I want to go back to something you had talked about, about you were saying, you know, monsters and stuff. You were a monster kid, yes? Uh, I was. Um, you know, from my earliest memory and my earliest drawings, there there are monsters and dinosaurs and dragons. And, uh, you know, in my first three years of my life, I lived in Japan, and I was exposed to just a, a barrage of uh, Japanese animation and Ultraman and, and there was a lot more of that on Japanese television than American television at that time and, and I think that sort of you know gave me a, a head start so to speak on, on that but you know even so it was just I was always drawn to that stuff uh, literally drawing and drawn to it it's the coolest I, I mean yeah absolutely like I you know I how can you not I remember in high school being in an architecture class and I completely would wait a minute. Whoa, wait, wait! You were in high school, and there was <laughs> yeah. an architecture Long class. Long story. Yeah. But anyway, uh, spun off, and you would see these, you know, half-assed attempts at, at the dra- at the the architectural drawing, right? But, but the borders were full of full of full monsters, monsters, yeah. <laughs> you know, tanks and explosions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I can totally relate to that. But you know, I, I have a couple of series on that because. Again, when I was younger, I I never analyzed it. I never self-analyzed. It's just what I loved. I you know wasn't conscious. It just you know. But as, as I'm older, I, I go, what what draws me to that? Why, as as young as I could remember, if I went in a toy store and there was, you know, a choice of a baseball, um, you know, a teddy bear and, and a skull, I I would have every time went for the skull. And, you know, and one of the analogies I, I give is. Is today you went into a, um, 
you know, a third grade class and you gave everybody an assignment to draw a toaster. Okay, kids, everybody has to draw a toaster. You know, the kids would not be very interested and I wouldn't really be interested in seeing what they would draw. But if you ask that same group of kids to paint an evil toaster, uh, it instantly becomes interesting. It's like, whoa, yeah. number one, the kids are interested to draw that and I'm really curious to see what they draw. And, you know, I think there's just an inherent drama in in horror. You know, people... Things that will hurt you, people tend to pay attention to, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Well, villains are um, always more interesting than the hero. Right. They are. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, even, I even, if you, even if you're of the, uh, uh, the inclination that, you know, I don't like scary stuff, I don't like scary movies, you recognize that the scary stuff is what makes you uncomfortable. It's like somehow sure. it's a catalyst more than the happy stuff is. Well, also I would add to that that it's also a situation where as a kid, I know I felt like an outsider and when I saw Frankenstein, for oh, example, dude, he's it's your, like he's my pal. He's your buddy. And yeah. and and, yeah. and and that was the difference between me and a lot of my friends where they were like, "Kill the monster." I'm like, "No, the monsters are that's the yeah. cool yeah. part, you know." Yeah. Um and yeah. looking back, the, the monsters were often so sympathetic, you know, whether it's King Kong or Frankenstein, you know, they, they were just what they were, and they got thrown into the, the you know, the, the with the wrong group of people, basically, and things went bad for them, you know, who was the monsters then, them or, the, you know, the people right. that were... Exactly. And isn't that what them? Clive Barker's been, that's been his doctor trade forever right. about yeah, exactly. the humans yeah. and the monsters, not the monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you're a Rockabilly fan. I am, yeah. Let's talk about that. Langley's a huge Americana uh, fan. Dude, it, it, well, uh, not only Americana, but I mean, like, Shockabilly and Psychabilly and, and, and just Rockabilly, like Haskell. Anyway, talk about yeah, that well, for a moment, sir. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a child of the 70s, but the, the punk rock movement came about in my world around 78 again through my brother. He was tuning into that before me. But even before that, my dad, he came coming out of the South, you know, he was... You know, I grew up with Johnny Cash playing all the time and uh, Roy Orbison and just, you know, uh, all those tunes were in, were in our house. But, you know, when the punk rock movement came along and, it, and there was sort of a, um, a renaissance with, with music and, and, you know, so there's the stray cats regurgitating rockabilly, rockabilly are actually, you know, rockabilly pur purists coming, coming through. But, uh, you know, to me that was all incredibly liberating. Uh, the, the 70s, you know, were very became very conformist near the end of the 70s and, and to have that whole punk rock thing come through and um, I was probably in junior high school going into high school so that's a time where you know you have so much peer pressure and for me the punk rock was was very liberating it was just you know it was it was basically saying it's all right to be a weirdo you know and, right. and once it once it became all right to become a weirdo it, it was it was just again so freeing so liberating and it uh it really let me be me and be fine with being me. It's funny. I just heard Rollins was on Rogan's show yeah. and uh, Joey Diaz's show, and he was just talking about being p very similar to what you just talked about, about punk rock and it freeing him and allowing him to to realize that it was okay to be, yeah. Yeah, you know. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't have to, you didn't have to wear what the other kids wore you didn't have to you know you, you could just be yeah. yourself yeah right and you didn't have to work so hard to to please other people to try to fit in and and again you know the military thing moving around and stuff so it all just that all clicked very well for me um yeah 
these days it's different. I mean, with streaming and everything else, people have to access to so much that I think they... Um, Rollins was talking about, you know, trucking to the record store in the rain to get this, like this, the second Kiss record. Right, and, it was and a big bringing deal. it back. Yeah, <laughs> now you yeah. just clicks on something and you get it. I think yeah. it, people have devalued music as a result. Yeah. Well, uh, just everything. I mean, everything's trade-offs. I mean, of course, it's so nice to be able to just instantly find stuff and and, and explore it and and enjoy it, but. You know, there is a there is a pleasure in finding stuff. Whether it's you know whether I'm going to a flea market and I'm looking mm. for the Aurora uh, horror model kit, where now I can just go on eBay and get it, and suddenly I don't because it's just too easy. Yeah. Um, but when it was a treasure hunt and I could find it, there was so much value and satisfaction of finding this thing. Uh, this, you know, the thing, this, the same with music. Uh, you know, one of my favorite bands was the Cramps in the the late '70s and. It was so hard to find pictures of them. You know, if, if you found a fanzine with an interview with them, it was it was incredible. And here's a, a picture I've never seen of them. And you would get the album covers and you would just devour them front and back. And of course, now you can just go on any Cramps fan page and there's thousands yeah. and thousands of pictures. Um, and part of what that does for me is it kills the mystique for one thing because the Cramps were so mysterious. The yeah. fact that there was so little information on them, I. I I really liked it that way. I liked not knowing what their dog looked like and, you know, what their political views were. I just wanted them to be those strange creatures. I keep I keep hoping that that some artist, some performer, some artist, some 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 celebrity gets that and starts to limit access. Well, I just yeah. I wonder about like Jimi Hendrix's Instagram. That was part of it, is not knowing anything about exactly. the guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You mentioned Aurora uh, models. Did you have several as a kid? Uh, I did, most certainly. Uh, I still have several. Yeah. Oh, nice. God, dude. We moved at one point, and my parents like, you know, the, the, we don't have room in the trailer for all this. Uh, yes. So they all went away, and I'm just like, oh. Those are the most tragic stories, and almost everybody I know uh, has those stories. And with me, it was like I had all these rubber monsters and monster models and stuff. And I remember sometime right around fifth grade, we were moving, we are going to Hawaii, and I decided I was too big for all of these. And uh, me and my friends went out, went out in the woods, and we burned them, you know, and, I mean, which was a lot of fun. But... Uh, gosh, I sure wish those had been stashed in a box somewhere. Well, first of all, head nod to the time-honored thing of burning toys in the burning woods. Toy. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that would have made that perfect is, and then we found a box of porn. <laughs> you, you know, and, and that's another, and I don't want to wax, uh, you know... Oh, we're old. We do that all the time. Of the, of the 70s. But, you know, when you don't have computer games and Instagram and Facebook sucking up all your time, you know, you had to come up with ways to entertain yourself. And if it meant... You you know, being little pyros, and uh, you know that's that's what you did. Yeah, I can remember as a kid going to the sco- going to the schoolyard after school, two bows, one arrow, <laughs> 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 and never thinking this is dangerous, right? No, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it was I feel the, the I decade. Sh- it was the decade of lawn darts. You know that says it all. Yes. Oh my God. I I I tried to tell my son about these things and he's like oh my god that sounds horrifying I'm like no they were great (laughs) Uh, I'm curious what was the last CD you purchased speaking of music 
Music, well, if you're talking about an actual CD, since I haven't bought a CD in oh, probably yeah. five years. See, you, see, see we're <laughs> old, Tom. <laughs> what, I know, which is just a nightmare. I mean, we're, we, luckily my wife has held on to all our albums, and, and they've come back in vogue. So we, just, we, we purposely found this old 70s uh, stereo cabinet uh, that we bought and brought home, and we're playing the records that we had as kids nice. on this, you know, yeah. 70s stereo, and it sounds great. I mean, it's just the cracks and the pops and the whole thing there is, uh, you know, perhaps it's just nostalgia for us because that's the way it sounded when we were young, yeah. but just loving that. Yeah. Um, but as far as CDs, oh, shit, um, you know, off the top of my head, you know, I, I guess I can tell you the latest band that I just am gaga about is Shannon and the Clams. Uh, a bit of an obscure band, but if you look them up, they're a mix of punk and rockabilly and just a very original surf sound sort of spun into all that. Nice. Very cool. I've never heard this. I'm, no, I'm I, writing I, this I, down. Yeah, I'm just like, yep, yep. Checking it out. Very cool. Shannon the Clans. Shannon the Clans. And, and they're, you know, a little bit of a, a fun vibe to them. I mean, I tend usually when I you know depending on my mood depending on what I'm doing if I'm painting I tend to like things that are a bit more uh, moody and um, dramatic mm. uh, you know that's when I go to my Nick Cave collection and yeah. uh, and, and you know my I love spaghetti western soundtracks are awesome to yeah 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 paint right too. Jesus Christ <laughs> it's like I uh, brother from another mother yeah exactly I was just going to mention to finally I know you had said something on Facebook but uh, Low Straight Jackets coming to Seattle Low Straight Jackets is oh. with Nick Lowe yeah with oh, Nick Lowe. no kidding they've been How touring for that? the last year that is so bizarre yeah Okay, quick question. Um, how do you guys feel? I have such a mixed feeling when I go see these bands from my youth that I love. You know, you, you go to see Nick Lowe, and suddenly there's like this 80-year-old guy on stage. And, and, and <laughs> yeah. I, I have such mixed feelings. I'm partly sad because it's like, oh, that's just not the same. But at the same time, it's like, wow, it's Nick Lowe. Do I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I just saw a video, uh, a recent video of Van Halen doing Jump. <laughs> And Stanley <laughs> Roth, man, it's like, oh my god. Well, okay, uh, all right. So I saw that same video, and I was like, uh, on one hand, this is sad, but on the other hand, look, here's this guy, older than me, who's clearly having <laughs> clearly a good time. crushing it. He's just like, yeah, yeah he's like, he, he doesn't yeah. care, you know. Yeah. Um, I personally. Uh, I like seeing these folks from from my youth because um, it gives me hope, you know. And it's like, you know, it's like because yeah. there are days where I feel like, dude, I'm not going to be able to draw anymore. Like, because I'll look yeah. back, I, I look back at like art that I did when I was younger, and I'm like, yeah. I'm nowhere. Like, I, I was really good, and I'm nowhere near that <laughs> good anymore. You know what I mean? It's like sure. And uh, well, you don't know what I mean because you're freaking awesome, but. But but I totally feel your point. I mean, uh, you you reach a a point, a certain age, where you realize you know it's not about what's ahead of you; it's what you have left. And you know, you're fortunately, art is one of the few areas that you can continue to improve in. But you you have to work harder at it, and things mm -hmm. don't come as easy. Uh, so I, I totally get what you're saying. Well, you know, I just um, before Boris died, he he was very heavy on social media. Uh, right. Not Boris. I, I was going to say wait, Boris didn't. Basil Gogos. I'm sorry. Oh, Basil. Okay, okay, Gogos. So before he yeah. died, he was all over social media and he was pointing up a lot of his new work, and it was 
straight up expressionism. Didn't wow. it was just squares of green mm-hmm. on a yeah, on yeah, a canvas, yeah. and you're thinking you're you're Basil Gogos, you know, and and but he just seemed to be that's given his situation at the time, you know, his hands had started to shake and that kind of a thing. Um, makes sense. Well, the you know, yeah. the, I guess the important thing there is that he still kept making art regardless. Right, you know? right, right, right. right. Um, how important do you think it is to have a solid? drawing background before making the um, the leap onto canvas uh, yeah. sorry <laughs> no no it's, it's a good question it's just there's there's so many ways to answer you know those types of questions and that and that sort of goes to the point I'm going to make is there's no wrong or right way to do anything if you know I'm more comfortable with a brush in my hand than a pencil or, or, or ink you know I'm, I, I consider myself a very bad inker because uh, brush and paint allows me to just screw up all I want and just keep going and keep turning it into something. Uh, with ink, you know, <laughs> you go bad with ink and that's it. It's permanent. You're in the drawing. So, uh, but that said, your point, anatomy, you know, the, the basics of drawing is the foundation to everything. So whatever tool you're drawing with, you know, the, the more proficient you can come at understanding basic drawing is, is going to serve you well whether you paint in oils you paint digitally you paint with your fingers mm. that's I, I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand is that even these even uh, you know some of your favorite favorite artists who their style is um, everything's out of proportion mm-hmm. like oh he draws these characters with big heads or whatever that guy or girl and able to get to that point had to learn how to draw. Yeah, they talk about learning yeah, the rules absolutely. before you break them. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Learn the f- form before you break it. Yeah. And then that pretty much applies to just about any successful illustrator that I know. You know, anybody that paints or, uh, that paints realistically mm-hmm. or dabbles in realism. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's a uh, uh, it's one of those things where sometimes a person's force of will splashed onto the canvas can make up for some of that, that sure. stuff. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You with me? Well, yeah, like, ex- like especially if you're talking about, like, um, oh, like, like folk artists or mm. something like that, you know, that, mm-hmm. that type of art. Then maybe yeah, styliz- not- sure, stylization is definitely, you know, your friend if, if, if you're wanting to, um, yeah, uh, uh, However you want to translate your visions to the canvas, but if your stylization, then perhaps your anatomy doesn't have to be as perfect if, as compared to somebody that is, you know, like Frazetta or, or Bohr, somebody that's painting, you know, much more of a realistic uh, type of approach. Mm. Or, or Brahm, for that matter. <laughs> well, you know, paint, paint, you mentioned something about, you know, you know your, your media helping you, so, but paint is we're all faking it. You know, I mean, it's, we're creating illusions. So, uh, to me, paint and textures are your friends. The, they're, whenever you hit a spot, a blind spot, where you just can't quite figure out how anatomy connects or things are working, you know, that's the perfect place to, 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 to throw some, you know, some, some atmosphere, some texture, some clothing, you know, to cover up these spots. So, so again, it is all working with what you have um, and just trying to create that illusion whatever your goal is with the piece. One of the, you know, when you talk about, when you're sitting with your friends and you're talking about different artists, 
you know, each you talk about like, like for example, if you talk about Boris, you talk about you know the the realism, and when you talk about Frazetti, you talk about the the you know the dreamlike quality, and yeah. when I talk about Brahm, I tell I always talk about skin texture, and your ability. This amazes me. Your ability to can to capture trans the translucency of skin. Yeah. Well, it's, thank you. It's amazing, and uh, um, so many of the things that you draw, you know, like these other folks that do fantasy type art. Everybody, you know, they've been at the gym for like you know, um, and and <laughs> you know, you do characters that are like you know, they they look like me. They're pasty and and pale. <laughs> and, and, and God bless you. I love you for that. Oh well, thank you. I, yeah, I, I, at the core, people have to paint what they love, what they're most interested in, and you can see what they're most interested in. Uh, I'm not interested in backgrounds and environments. Environments are there just to support the characters, and really, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the flesh, to the faces, to the hands, to the way the you know the the muscles connect and the sinews and the veins. Um, that is where my interest is. Uh, so. In most of my paintings, if you look at them, your eye is drawn to that because you know that's where the the focus is. That is where the work um, is put into, and everything else I consider is to support that. Uh, You're also really good at staging lighting. Oh. Um, in 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 that, you know, you're talking about directing mm. focus in a painting. Yeah. Mm. Um, there are some paintings of yours where. Um, the face of you know a particular character we don't even really see because there's this almost like spotlight directed on some other yeah. part of the body and and that's that's beautiful and amazing because it makes you uh it makes you wonder like who who is this person mm, right. you know? it it builds interest and uh it, it, it's a great gift you have and and that's a good point i you know i i sometimes I do that intuitively, but I remind myself, again, it's like we were talking about, you know, the cramps or Jimmy Hendrix, leaving a bit of mystery, leaving there something for the viewer to interpret or, or you know, think about is, is very effective. So, hmm. Hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I wanna, back when we first talked, you said something about, uh, and I'm going to quote you, it's something that is always writing has always been put on the back burner to the painting. I finally feel like I've got my painting career established enough of who I am and what I do that I can finally, hopefully, now put the two together. That was 20 years ago. And uh, how'd that work out? <laughs> that's great. That's great that you found that. Um, it worked out really well. Uh, that's that's funny. I mean, this is uh, here. I am uh, five five you know illustrated novels later, and I'm I'm loving it. Uh, you know, but it was definitely wasn't an easy journey it was, it was a fun journey and you know it was, I was very passionate about the writing once I started but uh, you know, one thing about being young is is you have at least I did is I just had this you know if, if I was interested in it I had this complete faith that I could do it and I would just jump in uh, so you know after several hundred thousand poorly written sentences later you know it, it did start to gel and turn into uh, I started to understand the craft and I could you know then start to connect the paintings with the writing mm -hmm. 
Did did you were you a person who um, it said you had uh, back you had talked about back um, putting it on the back burner, uh, uh, but it was still something that like did you did you have favorite artists or I mean sorry writers and and styles of writing and thinking man like I know I read Lansdale and I go that's a beautiful <laughs> little phrase there that he that he did or I just yeah. was sometimes on Facebook I'll put up something sure. like a book I'm reading. Um, did you always have that kind of thing? And and even when you were doing just the painting, were you always constructing backstories for your characters? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my earliest memories, I was talking about drawing monsters and stuff. But really, what I was doing is, I was as a kid, I loved to make little books. I would get out the crayons and construction paper, and I would draw the pictures and write the story in there and staple them together and make a book. And uh, I'm you know through. I'm very fortunate that today I'm doing the same thing, except, you know, it's with, yeah, it's with canvases and oil paints and the computer and, and word, you know, word processing programs. But, you know, I'm still able to put these two together. The gig's um, the same. Yeah. The toy's the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, yeah. it. I like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny. But, uh, uh, you know, I was always writing stories off and on. But what happened is somewhere in my late or my early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, uh, uh, I sort of hit a wall with my painting, uh, and it was partly my fault, and it was partly the fault of the type of work I was getting, because it, I got to a point where people were commissioning me to do essentially the painting I'd already done, mm. and the type of work, uh, I wasn't having a lot of control. I was, um, I didn't have a lot of room to grow, uh, because people kept, again, requesting the same type of the stuff. Same. So I started getting What's frustrated and burnt out with my painting, and at that point... You know, it was before the the internet was quite so big. So, you know, I needed to have a publisher behind me. I couldn't just self-publish something. Uh, so right around then, I started writing, and it was just going to be some short stories, heavily illustrated, like my first book, The Plucker. But uh, you know, the writing bug caught me. It just uh, it became my passion, and uh, I found that I was, you know, finding every free moment I had to write and. Uh, uh, what did I do? I wrote The Plucker first and then The Devil's Rose. And those books were, um, you know, illustration one side, uh, words on the other side. And, and that's a nice balance for me. But the writer in me started wondering, you know, could I, could I actually do a book that, you know, could survive on prose alone? Uh, and that's when I started writing the first book, The Child Thief, which is, you know, the dark retelling of the Peter Pan myth. Uh, so I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is my ambition started out low. I just wanted to be able to write well enough that I could bring my own stories to life and I could have some control over the work I was doing. Um, and then at some point, the writing became every bit as exciting and as part of what I did as the as the art. Well, what I, I wanted to bring up today was um, you're, you are a rarefied animal in that um, you... Your 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 writing in in and and of course this is my opinion, but in my opinion your writing is as good or better than your art and your art is amazing. So wow, what you, you do is it's something that that people used to do in the past, but it was rarely the same person. You had the yeah. illustrated novel, but mm. it was like you know. Uh, this guy wrote, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote a book, and then you know Roy Crunkle or somebody, you know, illustrated it, right? Yeah. And now uh, you're doing this stuff it's that's all amazing. In-house. The very first, 
the first time that I actually became aware of you was the plucker, and I'm like, what oh, the yeah. hell is this? You know, and and, I, <laughs> and 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 I, you know, I loved it, and then, but um, have you always been um, interested in? Uh, folklore and fairy tale because I, I, I feel a lot of that coming through your books uh, most certainly and uh, you know I think part of what I'm interested in is these characters I'm drawn to whether it's Peter Pan or Krampus uh, or even you know Purgatory with all the different religions is it's the stories behind those stories and I mean with Peter Pan for example James Barry uh, he didn't invent all that mythology he pulled that off from, you know, English mythology and, and, you know, basically European mythology that goes way back, and he sort of spun it his own way. So when I approached that material, uh, that path of digging into where these myths and where these characters come from, just sort of put the, it's like pieces of puzzle, and they just all came together and they created their own story. And the same with Krampus, you know, Krampus coming out of Yule, and Yule preceded Santa Claus, and just the fact that these two uh, uh, mythological entities were connected, you know, historically, is a story. There's a story there. You know, wait, Krampus came first. Well, he can't be too happy with Santa Claus, and Santa Claus kind of stole his holiday. Um, I bet he's pissed about that and probably wants to kill Santa Claus. Hey, I should write a book about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. isn't that funny? That's the way those things happen. Those little ideas that won't go away. That little scratch yeah. at the back of your head. It's like, I, what if? I'm curious. Do you find that the your painting fuels your writing, which thereby fuels your painting, and this wonderful circle starts to happen? Yeah, it's, you, you asked me earlier... Um, about, you know, do I think about the characters and stuff while I'm doing these paintings? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the, the story and the, the paintings have always been connected, and any painting I do, especially if it's something I'm inventing my own, uh, you know, you're spending hours and hours and days and weeks in front of these paintings, so you, your mind naturally goes down these courses. What is this person thinking? What got him to this point? And you're hoping when somebody looks at the painting, they're thinking the same thing. Whoa, what's going on here? Uh, so it just the painting is such a great jumping off place for you know for for starting to tell a story so my earlier books you know the plucker on the devil's rose they essentially came about by what do i want to paint you know I, my kids were with the plucker which is is a dark um uh, children's book in essence uh my kids were young and they were reading uh, I was reading to them, and they were reading, you know, Winnie the Pooh, uh, The Nutcracker, uh, lots of these books where toys come to life in the world of make-believe. Um, so, you know, that sort of... I, I just completely lost my train of thought. Oh, I know what we're talking about. We, we're talking about the pictures. Which comes first, the pictures or the words? Um, so so I, I went off on a tangent there. But anyway, uh, coming back to that, uh, it's earlier it was more about what I wanted to paint, um, as I became more knowledgeable and, and better at writing, you know, the, the plot, what, what is the, the interesting conflict? What will make this story unique? So it became a bit more about the story later on. But that said, both of the, 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 the disciplines feed each other so well. Uh, usually whatever spark of an idea I have, once I start drawing that character it's like I get to know them so much better. I discover stuff in the drawing that then goes into the story. But at the same time, when I'm writing the story, I'm writing the character, you know, you're visualizing it. Um, so 
so that goes into the drawing, and it's just back and forth, and they sort of uh, evolve together, um, which is just, again, what I did as a child, and to me is just the most, you know, that's just the most enjoyable creative thing I can do. It's pictures and words. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and it's something that I don't, that I can do. You know, if you try to do a movie, it's such a process. You have to get so many people involved, and you have to have, be dependent on so many different people but when you write and illustrate these things, you know, it, it is that it's almost like two artists in one body working together. Right. And, uh, and it even comes with some of the conflict. I, I know as an illustrator, I would often get frustrated with writers because writers would come and they'd go, oh, I want you to do this and this and this for my cover. And I'm like, well, what you just described is a five-minute scene. It's, it's, we, we need just one picture here. Yeah, uh, right. So, you know, you're wanting to show so much in that picture or the writer will want you to show something that's that's difficult to to paint like you know like black fire black fire sounds really cool when you write it in the story but when you go to paint black fire it's a little like yeah you know that probably <laughs> not going so so i actually found you know not only did the two encourage each other and and things were you know developed between each other but they also limited each other to some degree it's, sure. it's like no you know this this painting has to work with this story um, and vice versa. Well, I would think that having a visual representation of all of your characters as a writer would be so beneficial. And to know that you, you're able to... Um, I need him... The writer needs him to have a pocket watch so the painter knows to when he's in front of the canvas... To include the pocket to watch. To include the pocket watch. Yeah. And exactly. I think normally, that whole con- that would take a conversation. But right, you right. being the same yeah. person, God, I envy you that. Right. Because mm. you're, you, yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to say a couple things because you were talking about movies in and and uh, uh, in in relation to um, uh, stories and, and painting and and how you don't have to rely on it, dude. I I want to see um, the Devil's Rose like. <laughs> as a film so bad yeah. that yeah. It, it, it is so beautiful it is such a great story oh also, thank you also um, you are really 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 good at coming up with I don't, I, I, I'm not sure what the word is I'm looking for um, emblems um, it, it, particularly in that book um, we have these um, I, I, for lack of a better word coat of arms Right. You know, it's like you know yeah. a skull with two, you know, guns, and then you know, and and, and uh, I I greatly admire that because I used to do logos for people, and that was a yeah. pain in the ass to try to come up with. Like, <laughs> I still haven't finished our logo for right. for our podcast. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I you know I enjoy the design aspect of it, I, and I love bringing design to to illustration. Um, you know, it, it's it's. I think one of the tough things is, is creatives is we all want to do a little bit of everything. And every time I see something cool, I, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to stay focused because it's like, oh, yeah, I want to do some of that. I want to do some tattoo design. I want to do this. Oh, uh, dude. So, so I think... <laughs> Wrong tattoo. I, mean, <laughs> I, want, I want one. That's badass. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I mean, the, the point is is just, yeah, you're, you're often tugged in different directions. So doing the books... You know, I also design and lay them out, and it's just that joy of, of just 
putting little doodads all over this object you're making. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's where a lot of the, the logos and coat of arms and stuff comes from. Plus, I would think it would be nice to go like, yeah, I'm not feeling the painting, I'm not feeling the writing, I'm going to work on some coat of arms. Yeah. And it's nice yeah. to have that diversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, I want to ask you, earlier you said something about as, as artists we're all faking it. And I wanna, yeah. I, I'm running into <laughs> some of my most <laughs> beloved uh, artists, writers, filmmakers, and we all—they all suffer from imposter syndrome. Yeah. Where you yeah. do? You, do you ever feel like they're like one day they're going to kick your door down and go, no, <laughs> no, 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 no? no. <laughs> uh, absolutely, and and I found this to be fairly universal with artists, though they often don't realize it a bit until later in life that you know that. Um, you know th- those insecurities. I I can within minutes go from you know thinking that uh, you know I'm I'm a genius. Look at this amazing thing I created. Oh my gosh! To the next minute, like oh what a piece of crap. This looks so bad. And uh, <laughs> you know, um, and, and it can go from painting to painting. Uh, you know, one painting will just seem to fall into place, and and suddenly it's like yeah I've got this. I've I've mastered this. And then the next painting, it's like I'm painting with bubble gum, and it's just like oh. <laughs> fake i'm a fraud i just you know i got lucky with that other painting and uh, um yeah and, and, you know and it's part of my painting technique as well is because it, you know i always start okay i'm going to paint this face and it's just gonna just magically go into place and and you know you just paint and paint and i, I use a mirror as a tool uh, meaning i'll paint something and then i'll hold it up the mirror to so i can get a clearer idea and often when you're got your face eight inches from the canvas and you're painting a face it will look right to you and then you step back or you hold the mirror up and you know it, it's so wonky and one low. eye is up high and one low and uh um anyway i i'm going off on a tangent again here but your your point is uh, is is yes i think all creatives are uh you know suffer from from both of those from from one moment just you know just we're all loving what they're doing well, and then the next minute just just hating what they're doing. It reminds me, um, I saw a thing on the, uh, we talked about on the show a lot, this Venn diagram of two circles. One says huge ego, one <laughs> says crushing self-doubt. And where they intersect, <laughs> it says artist. artist. It's like, absolutely. You know, but and it's even worse, I think, with the writing, at least for me. With, with painting, you know, there is a certain skill level that you can just see, that you can unquestionably see, you know, this has been brought to life and, and there's a degree of quality there that can't be denied. You can look at that and see that. But writing is so subjective. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how pleased I was when you were telling me that you like my writing as much as my art, uh, because with writing, again, it's subjective. You can write this, you can hear it a certain way in your head, and ten people can hear it that way as well, but ten other people can hear it completely different and um, you know, it, it doesn't click with them. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's like music. You know, why do I like the Ramones so much? Where somebody else thinks the Ramones are crap? Because um, so they're idiots. The <laughs> 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 hey, I, I'm a Mersbau fan. I can't say anything. <laughs> um, well, the other thing I think is as, and we've talked about this a lot on this show as well, is as a writer. I mean, as a uh, a painter or as a artist or as a musician. Uh, uh, anyway, um, you can present. I can. You can show someone one of your paintings, and you get instant feedback. Right. But as a yes. writer, right. you hand me one hundred and sixty thousand words, and I'll see you in a couple months when you finally come up and give me a thumbs up and go, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Right. So 
on one hand, I think that, that like, why would you sign up for that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, and also, it's, it's funny how, how brutal people are on writers. I mean, anybody that goes on Goodreads or, or reads reviews, uh, you know, with my art, people tend to be nicer about art. And, uh, again, because writing's subjective and everybody has an opinion, um, uh, you, you quickly learn to not look at reviews and, and the one the weird thing about reviews as well is 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 everybody is like oh I love this but everybody has a but but yeah. their buts always contradict it's like what one person really thinks you did successfully the right. other person doesn't so it's not even like you're getting constructive feedback you're just getting a lot of confusion yeah. confusing noise you know it's like oh yeah I think I think ultimately I think ultimately you have to you have to say to yourself Look, this is the story that I needed to tell. Yeah, I've yeah. told it. It's out of your hands. Yeah, and 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 if if people dig it, great. And if they don't, whatever. I've told my story, and now it's time. I'm I'm moving on to the next thing. Yeah. Because otherwise, Absolutely. you're going to drive yourself nuts. You you are, uh, but you, part of you know, as an artist, I was self-taught, so I've always responded well to feedback. So when I read reviews, it's it's usually it's for that reason. It's I'm looking for what I need to work on, what I can better myself at. So, right. I think that's part of the frustration with the confusion because it's, it's inconsistent. But you know, sometimes you do find a consistent thread. You know, if if enough of them, their their butt is this thing. You know, it does kind of point you in the right direction. I, I need to work you, a bit yeah. more on this. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite? Like, do you do you have a favorite bad review? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share this mine. Mine. I've read okay. quote. I've read some books in my life, and this was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that guy. I'm all you're, you're awesome. Yeah, it's you know what, the thing with reviews is you don't usually you don't get to see the person writing them. Uh, meaning, I've had people come up to conventions that have had opinions on art or books or whatnot, and just. The impression I get from that person, I wouldn't value their opinion on any level just because this is, you know, um, or the opposite might be true, you know, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, so when you read something in writing, it has a weight, you know, yeah. you, you have this, uh, this person must know what they're talking about. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, you, you need to put that part into it, that the, the advice you're getting might not be from somebody you would respect on any other level. My, my thing is always, you know, uh, <laughs> can I read your last book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, they, 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 they shut up, because I'm, I, speaking of reviews and stuff like that, um, for your last book, Lost Gods, which is amazing, yeah. and it's a it's a journey into purgatory and trying to get back to um, trying to take care of something in order to take care of the loved ones that are still alive. And sure. uh, I'm going to read something real briefly here because th I I love this quote, um, and I think it perfectly describes what's going on here for people who have not uh, either read any of your books or or, or haven't read this particular book. Um, this is from Richard uh, Cadry, New York Times bestselling author of the Sandman series. By the way, Sandman series is great. Um, Lost Gods is like Robert Johnson singing ghostly blues on the shores of a haunted river in hell. It's like Dante played out in muggy rural graveyards and the depths of purgatory on the eve of a demonic war. Dude! 
Yeah, you got to be happy when that shows uh, yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Well, you can. Well, that right there shows what a great writer Richard is. You know? <laughs> 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 he can sell my book so effectively. Uh, yeah. Bless, bless you, Richard. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you about before we, we let you go is, I was looking at your IMDb, and there are some real oddities there. Um, for example, you were a conceptual artist on Bless the Child. <laughs> what did you yeah, do for the, that? The nineties. The, the I think I did a lot of film work in the nineties, and yeah. it was pre, uh, you know, digital concept work. So people actually did drawings, and uh, um, I'm, I'm not qualified to do concept work anymore because I just don't have the skill set. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I some odd worked on some odd films. Uh, Bless the child. That uh, I just want to see that it, those sketches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a lot of just demons for the most part, and teenage mm. kids turning into demons. It was it was fun stuff, but it was just. What am I trying to put into words here? It was it, it, every job I worked on had a unique interaction, so to speak, and the director on that uh, just he was he was doing a lot of searching, so it was. I guess a lot of that work was just trying to find what he was looking for. Um, with some jobs, you know, they know what they're looking for, or what most hap often happens when I was doing movie work is they would hire three or four artists to, to draw the same character, and then they would take parts. They would Frankenstein the yeah. final character together, uh, which <laughs> is, is not quite as satisfying, obviously, if, it's if, a drag. if they bring your creature completely to life. When I worked on Ghost of Mars with John Carpenter, um, you know that was that was great because he, you know, those those characters came to life. You know, you know, yeah. And now that I put that together, I, I can see that. You can totally, I yeah, can totally absolutely. see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Um, and you did poster work for Sleepy Hollow. I did, and and oh, I've got a horror story with that. I'll try to summarize <laughs> real quick. Uh -oh. Frickin' Hollywood. They called, <laughs> you know, Hollywood's got its. You know, it's sexy. When Hollywood calls it sexy because it's, you know, you're doing something that's collaborative, which I like. I like, you know, because I spend my whole life in a cave by myself. Um, but uh, everything comes with its challenges. With that job, they were like, yeah, it's Tim Burton. It's Sleepy Hollow. What's not to love? We'd like you to do this poster. We want a movie, a painted movie poster. And I'm just like, yeah, that's great. I'm all over that. And they flew me down. And I went into the office, and I had these ideas, and here we go, I'm going to pitch the ideas. And, but before I do, they, they put up a hand, they stop, they say, wait, wait, before you show us anything, you might want to look through these. And they put down these two stacks, about 200 comps for movie posters. And I'm like, holy crap. And I started digging through these. These are good. These are good ideas. They're all digital composites, photo composites. They're not illustrated, but the concepts are good. And I'm like, well, what about, you know, I, I like a lot of these. Why, why are we going in different directions? They're like, well, the producer and the director and the, the you know, the, 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 the movie company, is their, the studio, they're all can't agree on anything. They can't agree on what they like. And I'm just like my, my stomach, just, you know, my heart drops. It's like, oh, no, they're going to put me in this situation. It's a no-win situation. Right. Um, but, you know, I did the painting. And actually, I did three paintings, and they took one, and they, at the end of the day, they ended up cutting out a little part of my painting and sticking it in a photo with a tree and a moon. <laughs> oh, and, my God. You know, I don't know what I think of that. So, it's, uh, well, that's, it's, it's aggravating. That's disappointing. Well, it yeah. brings up the question. So here you are. You've now got three paintings. 
right. of Sleepy Hollow, and they've passed on them. Are you are you allowed can, to? Can, yeah, can we see those paintings? Do they roll? Can you sell them? Can you? Yeah, yeah, I, I can sell them. I mean, I'd have to go look at each agreement, but most of those are just you know you you have to keep them under wraps until the movie's released. Right, so, right. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, it, re- it reminds me of a, a thing I saw in a Star Wars um, documentary where they had at least a dozen sculptors lined up in an office and they were all holding a maquette of the same character. Yeah. And Lucas walks in, He's goes down and goes, that one, and walks yeah. out. Yeah. Fucking horrible. And then, and <laughs> it's like... It's, is this some of the reason why you you know don't spend a lot of time in Hollywood? Um, yeah, and a lot of people that do work in that industry, what you will find again, it's exciting, exciting, you know, that you worked on Star Wars or you worked on this film. But as with all creatives, at the end of the day, you want to put your mark on something that's yours. You want to, mm-hmm. you know, you you have your own story you want to tell. So most. Artists that, that I know that work in concepts or films or work in games, for that matter, they usually have their own project going on the side. Uh, so for me, I love to do the collaborative work, the film work, the game work from time to time. But you know, the heart of what I want to do is my is my own stories, my own visions, and uh, so yeah. So you know, it, the best case is if you can mix it up a little bit, if you can do a little bit of collaborative work from time to time, and. Uh, not be a complete hermit, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Lang- Langley just has the Krampus book in his hand, and he opens it up. He opened it up to the, your painting of Santa Claus, and yeah. it strikes me. Have you seen the? Is it the Norwegian? What's the Norwegian Christmas movie that has the big muscly Santa Claus fighting? Uh, I want to say it's even Krampus. It looks like something straight out of your book. Well, uh, uh, so that's. Oh, a, I, go ahead. I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name of it. Um, and but I I did see that and that was really cool. I saw it after I'd done Krampus, but they you know they don't actually say it's Krampus, but they play on that whole again that whole Yule pagan Are you somewhat talking about demonic rare, rare exports. Not rare exports. Oh, okay. This other thing I re- I remember there was a a, a Krampusy character and the giant this big muscly Santa Claus in a uh-huh. barn fighting. Oh. I'll, I'll find it That's out. That's very you know. cool. Uh, I, 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 the reason why I picked up Krampus is because um, uh, you were you were talking to it, uh, 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 talking about it earlier, and uh, it leads. Uh, first of all, uh, this is an amazing book. It is, has Thank one of the most that. iconic covers ever. Like this is <laughs> this is uh, this is what I imagine Krampus to look like, um, but. There's a there's a story that I would like for you to tell about going on coast to coast and talking to George <laughs> Norrie in reference to Krampus. Could you could you tell us about that, please? Uh, we're talking about Snorri. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, hmm. Where does that go? Well, uh, okay. This I didn't really know who he was, but several of my friends listened to him. So when somebody invited me on there, I thought, okay, great, I'll give this a go. And and to be frank, I was very nervous. I'd never been on live, you know, coast to coast radio, so to speak. And they had sent me a list of questions, and so we had a little bit of a script. In other words, these were the questions he was going to ask me, and so they gave me a little time to, to prep. And again, going back to the fact that I was nervous, so you know, we start the interview, and the first thing that happens is he, he gets my name completely wrong. Okay, Bram. Um, so. I, I remember when he said that, I'm going, do I correct him 
or do I not? If I don't correct him, I'm going to be bram, bram, bram through the whole interview. So I correct him, and I think that pissed him off right from the start because he said something like bram, bram, whatever. Um, well, that's my name, know, he was, he was <laughs> Okay, I, before you go any further, he was horrible. Okay? Yeah, I imagine. Nor was, was bad. All right, go ahead, sir. Well, so we're, you know, we're, we're, he's asked me the questions, and I'm trying to give this background information. And the, the punchline to all this is he thought that this mythology to Krampus and, you know, catching children and putting them in a the sack and punishing them and possibly cooking them and eating them and stuff, he thought I was referring to an actual cult in Europe that did this or used to do this or people that worship the Krampus that does this. And in hindsight, I can see <laughs> where we were we were going wrong in the fact that he the more I said, the more I was trying to make this like you you get that this is sarcasm, you get that I'm emphasizing this for a laugh. The more I was doing that, the more he thought I was pushing this character. So he got more and more offended and finally, you know, I'm talking, trying to explain this and he's like, Brom, I cannot believe that that you know that you would think that this is funny with these kids and stuff, and, and I try to answer, and then the phone just clicks. He just like, hangs up. Yeah, he 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 totally kicked Brom off his show. And and I I remember just looking at the phone like, wait, hello? Oh my God, we got disconnected. You know, I just I had no concept at the moment that that he wasn't playing along in this joke. And then uh, uh, you know I I listened to the rest of the interview. And somebody even tried to call up and try to explain to him, look, you, you understand. Um, so, yeah, so I, I feel bad. I, I would like to do it again where I could maybe give him the information a little better. But on the other hand, it's, it's too bad that, well, you know, somebody like him doesn't take a moment to do a little research, you know, to right. kind of know well, what he's going into. Have you, have you have, like, are, like, are you familiar with that show at all, like what their, their kind of stock and trade is? I am now, to some degree, yeah. Yeah, and so it was a weird idea to have you on that show in the first it place. It does seem weird. You're well, not, I think you're, you're I not think presenting any conspiracy theory or anything. Well, I think when you when you yeah. when you factor the history with Art Bell in, and Art yeah. would have given you a great interview. Oh, Art would have, yeah. And Nori, he's just willing to sign on to any and anyone that calls in. He's like, "What? You got an alien in your basement? Yeah. I'm in. Tell me the story. Tell me about the Anaki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's horrible. That, you know, it's one of those things where. But but, but you know, it, it it actually I don't regret it at all because I've got so much sympathy. Email. I got so many of his fans. I mean, so many people wrote me and, and stuff, and and you know, uh, giving me their sympathy and telling me, you know, what how Nori does tend to to not always be the most hip cat, I so to speak. So uh, <laughs> uh, I ended up getting a lot of good, you know, press out of that. I just I just great. love the the hang up. Yeah, honey, I think George Nori told me to go fuck myself. Uh, Jesus! Like I, I, I was telling, I was telling Tom earlier. I'm like, this interview is going to be way too short because there's so much to go over. Um, with that in mind, what are you working on now? Well, when I finished up my the my last novel, Lost Gods, uh, that was my third book in a row that that I'd written. And with Lost Gods, it, again, books are like. Like paintings, you have good ones, you have easy ones, you have good ones, you have bad ones. Um, the Child Thief was like the, my first novel. It was like learning on the job. Krampus, Krampus, 
it was such an experience. It fell into place. That book almost wrote itself. It just like just so quick that book happened and it easy and I thought I got this now I'm a masterful writer I know how to write it's easy and I started Lost Gods and Lost Gods just got it was just huge and overwhelming what happened is I went into purgatory and you know suddenly I was faced with all these things I had to kind of work out you know what happens when you die in purgatory what what do they use for you know for money for incentive why do they do what they do and I, and, it, and the book kept growing and as a writer you know you you don't want all that in your story but you have to work it out so that it's consistency uh so that book ended up becoming very big and it uh it was became it was a difficult book to write um it was enjoyable cuz i do love that world creation and just all that mythology and meshing it but when I finished that one, I was like, no, I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to go and not write again for five years or just I'm going to focus on my art. And I set aside uh, a year just to explore art. And I felt like there was all these things I had that I wanted to say. And so I cleared the schedule, set up the canvas, and here I go. I'm going to just paint whatever I want for the first time in my life, not for anything, not even for myself, not for a book or anything. <laughs> for two months, I kind of just started and stopped and started and stopped and uh and it was a very interesting journey to to realize that at the end of it after two years later uh about a year into it i actually took on a few commissions because i just felt like i wasn't really going anywhere and at the end of it about two years later i realized you know this is who i am and what i do i like to write and, and tell narratives with with pictures and words so that's a long way of saying that I'm about to start a new novel. Nice. This, this yeah. Fall. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Are you are you in the deep in the research stage now? And I, I am. Yeah. I mean, it's it's probably going to dwell a bit into to to witch lore and and Wicca lore and that sort of stuff. So I'm I'm you know, trying to get yeah, some historical. Be, that'll be awesome. That's going to be. But it, it always reminds me that that special time. Um, and again, I've said this on this show a lot. Uh, there's a there's a line out of uh, Sunday in the Park with George where where he says, "Mapping out a sky, what it feels like mapping a yeah. sky," and, and yeah. that's that beautiful area. It, it seems almost, like you're in where it's it's the, so many possibilities. It's and, it's, right. it's, it's yeah. the honeymoon period yeah. of a relationship where everything <laughs> is just feels great. Yeah, you know, and then, then the book comes out and it's just haggard. Well, then wife. you know, at some point you're digging ditches. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and, and painting's the same way. Painting and writing, you know that that early stage where you know you're you're developing the idea and the vision, and it's it's this sort of dreamlike thing in your head, and it's it's all magical. And um, and then of course when you actually create it, it becomes a real thing you can see. And and, uh, and I'll have to add this real quick with with painting. People often ask me, you know, or do you like your paintings when you're done with them? And I, I never do. And it's, it's a very simple reason because when I, I conceive of the painting, it's again, it's this ethereal vision in my head, and it's just it's glowing and it's flowing and it's just all these things. And as the process of painting it, you're 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 creating that into a real physical thing, and it can never, you're never going to be able to achieve what's in your imagination. So so there is always that disappointment. It's like, no, that's not that vision I had well, uh, but uh, I will say I put the paintings away and when I see them again four months later three months later and I've forgotten what that original vision is and I can look at them again I do tend to enjoy looking at the work I mean I'm never satisfied with it but I'm not disappointed with it the way I am when I first finish it right there, uh, do you you know some uh, some artists are, are you know they see a vision 
and you know if you if you track the sketches and things that they did in, in order to create a certain piece, it, it stays pretty consistent. Yeah. Are, are are you that guy or are you surprised? Um, painting's it's best when you're surprised. I do try to do as much creating in the paint as I can because it makes it fun. You're discovering it, and again, you're not as prejudiced by your your preconceived idea. Um, that said, every painting's a little different. You know, if it's commissioned for a, a product or something, obviously there's a much more step-by-step process of a comp and in, in pre-production type work. But for the paintings that are for myself and even for the books, I just you know, I, I do a fairly tight drawing and transfer it down, but I allow a lot of room for it to to go in the directions, you know, the happy accidents, the the splotches of paint that turn into things, you know, that's... Sure. It reminds me of, I, I saw a documentary with Ralph Steadman. Yeah. And, he, and he, he picks up a brush, dips it into black paint, and just slaps the canvas, and he's all... And, he's and like, he said, it begins. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, obviously, that's a bird. <laughs> um, thanks so much for coming on, dude. I, we, your Aunt Langley was absolutely right. This is one of those conversations that could take forever. We, we'll, can, we'll, we, we will definitely invite you back on. Yeah. Well, you guys have been great. You guys have been very generous, and I appreciate all the, the nice things you've said awesome. about my, my paintings and my writing. You rock, dude. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in just a second. This is what happened to my mama. Is every night at bed... She would go around to each corner post of our bed and she would kiss it goodnight to protect us. Unfortunately, she didn't know that it had been painted with mercury. That's how my mama went away. say that but again um it, it's so great to be able to sit at the knee of someone like from well you know it's it, you know it, we've talked about this before people kick around the word you know hero mm-hmm. uh way too easily um for me this guy is a hero yeah. Like it's like I, absolutely. Like I, he does exactly what I've to, always aspired to do. We've talked to a few of those. Yeah, on here we have. You we, know, we're really lucky. Whose art just, or who, someone whose work just stops you in your tracks. Yeah. You know. Uh, moving on to second hour stuff. Um, people who died. Jim the Anvil Needhart, wrestler. He was a wrestler. He was a dude. They're all we, dying. We, like. We talked about this last week. It's like every week. It's like it's. I, I almost feel like sending Rhonda 
Rusi like a message, just like, look, get the hell out now. Yeah, yeah. No, the, this is someone, but he he had a fall, so yeah. That I mean, you know, this usually wrestlers their heart goes because of the steroids. Right, right, right. Um, Mark Baker, he was an actor. He was in Candide and Swashbuckler. If you remember Swashbuckler, yeah, and Robert I Shaw. Um, Morgana King, she was a jazz vocalist from the forties and fifties. Yeah, notable because she played Don Corleone's wife in The Godfather. Yeah, and had one of the coolest names ever. Morgana King? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Randy Rampage, thrash metal singer bassist for DOA and Annihilator. Yeah. He's super young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also super young. Jill Janice, vocalist uh, from the band Huntress, died of a suicide. Um, she was... Phil Mucci directed one of their videos. Yeah, I and saw Phil that. Phil was and super bummed. Super bummed, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's when you... When you're working on those types of projects, not a, the artist that you're working with isn't just the artist. They become your friends. Right. Yeah. And right. Uh, he was saying how she, she took a, the, the band took a chance on him yeah. and, and really dug what he did. Yeah. Uh, Dev, Devin Davis, wife of Corn leader Jonathan Davis. Wow. Passed away. Super young as well. Yeah. And I want to say also drug related. And then finally, the monolith this week was Aretha Franklin. Yeah. You know, leading up to Aretha's death, um, you know, they, you know, the the family and the publicist came out with the statement, you know, that she was gravely ill. It, it was pretty apparent what was happening because mm-hmm. the statement was she was gravely ill and she's surrounded by friends and family. Yeah, that's never good. That's never good. Um, yeah. You know what? You know what can you say? What can you say about our, you know the the queen of soul is gone and yeah. and, and you know I I hope that the younger generation of today realize when we lose these these people like an Aretha or like a David Bowie or uh, whoever whoever that how much of what they're into. Is dependent on the the you know the the the, the, the groundwork that these people lay. Sure. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You may not know the music of Aretha Franklin, but you know her footprint. Yeah. Um, I think that. Uh, uh, and I'd be I, I I I would be shocked if even like somebody you know uh, uh, in their twenties. Had never heard respect. I, yeah, you know. Well, yeah. Well, things like Blues Brothers helped. I think I was reading that her catalog jumped hundred twelve hundred percent wow. in sales um, on the day she died. Yeah. Um, That's sad that somebody has to die in order to get. Well, to get you know. I uh, Stephen Colbert shared her singing "Natural Woman" at the Kennedy Center. And she brings Obama to tears. And at one point, she's an old lady, and she drops this floor. First of all, she's wearing a floor-length mink coat. Yeah. And she's standing in front of um, uh, Louise Gothic Geffen or whatever her name was. I'm spacing her name. Anyway, she's a, she was badass, and it 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 was amazing. And again, we're gonna start seeing. More and more of this. Well, stuff. The, you know, it, this, you know, these last couple of years have been the first that we've I, we've always had. You know, the the tortured artist who dies of a suicide or mm-hmm. of uh, um, uh, a drug overdose. But this is these 
this is the first generation of um, I'm, I'm going to use this generic term rock artists you know, yeah popular music artists where they have they're in they're old mm -hmm. people now and they're starting to pass away and this is the first that we've really experienced it in these last couple of years right yeah 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 it, and it's it's amazing to see all the people that are, are responding to it and everyone's posting about, you know, digging up old records and stuff like that. Sure. So that's that's yeah. awesome. Moving on to news, all of the Harry Potter films are going to be coming back to the theater. Mm, that's cool. Sure. Yeah. It's some yeah. anniversary or something. Okay. Um, are they going to play them consecutively? Like Marvel's going to play all their... No. Um, I think they're just going to release them. And and you can go and see them, and they'll probably just re reserve a theater yeah. and just run them all. Uh, Train to Busan Two was announced under the title Peninsula, so he's working on that. Yeah. I also discovered this thing we talked about it a few weeks ago: Soul Station, an animated prequel, prequel to, to Train, uh, to Train to Busan, which is cool. Yeah, yeah it is yeah, very yeah, cool. Yeah. So I'm I'm in. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Neil Blomkamp says uh, Peter Weller should return to the RoboCop reboot as RoboCop. Yeah, I don't know. Say. I, well, I well, mean, supposedly I, it's being based on the reboot, the one, the super sexy reboot that they just did. Wait, the new, the new RoboCop is a reboot. It had nothing to do with the new one. It. I had read that it was. That the new one is the jumping off oh, point for this one. See, now I'm not nearly as excited. Yeah, I am. Mech, well, anything yeah, no, is that, awesome. Yeah, that's great. There were a lot of very cool scenes in that Robocop. Yeah, you know, I it, don't but know. you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I, I so love the first one. I know. I, I, yeah, I yeah. mean, to be honest, I love those three movies. Even though, even when they get silly and it's for kids, I still love because. We still have Phil Tippett's amazing stop yeah. motion animation, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's a big deal for me. Right on. Uh, Castle Rock uh, got renewed for season two. Cool. I've not checked that out yet, but I hear it's not what you think it's going to be. I hear I hear two different things. I hear people that are like, uh, it's like not it's it, like they they expected something else, but then I hear from my other friends who are, oh. Big Twin Peaks people and that type, those types of folks who are saying it's amazing. So mm, I, I got to check it out yet. Well, season two coming. Okay. Uh, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley are reunited for a Holmes Watson flick. The same guys that were in Step Brothers yeah. are now going to be Holmes and Watson. Yeah, it could be. That could be really funny. Could be. Yeah. Uh, reminds me of a great. Unsung comedy called The Private Eyes with oh, Don Knotts and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Tim Conway. <laughs> I love that. And the yeah. Wookalar. Yeah, yeah, so cool. So funny. YouTube uh, pulls the ad, f an ad for the nun for policy violations, i.e., it was too scary. It was a big jump scare, and people were getting really freaked out about it. Oh my God. And so YouTube yanked it because we're a bunch of pussies. Yes, exactly. Tony Kay, director of American History X, says he wants to cast a robot in his next movie, like a straight-up robot as one of the main characters. Oh, he wants to he wants to use an actual okay, gotcha. Yeah. Not a not a special effect, but a right one like of these one of one these of robots these that MIT has been working on or, or whoever. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Sure. Interesting. Okay. Maybe, yeah, sure. Uh, Social Distortion's Mike Ness punched a Trump supporter at a game. Yeah, he did! <laughs> the guy was standing there, in, in his words, in a silent protest by flipping him off. And finally, this guy, Ness, just said, fuck this, and punched him. Yeah. Which is what happens uh, at a punk show. You know what? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's a punk rock show. Like, people get punched. That's why you go. <laughs> yeah. And if you're standing there flipping off one of the performers in a red hat, you're going to get punched even harder. You know, one of the coolest things that... that I, it, I, I'm a big fan of uh, the Dropkick Murphys. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'm a big fan of the Dropkick. <laughs> Go ahead, yes. Uh, the Dropkick Murphys. And I've been to many other shows. I'm going to another one on my birthday coming up. Um, and... It, for whatever reason, I don't know why. I don't know if why if, it, if if it's because it's Celtic rock or or, or whatever. Um, there was always this contingent. It was always a small contingent, but there was always this contingent of skinheads. Sure. Um, and I don't mean the good skinheads. I the racist skinheads. And I remember, like a year or two ago, some dude showed up at one of their shows. Clearly a fan. He likes their music, but he's standing there doing a see Kyle. Oh, that's and, a problem. And they were like. You know, the music stops and they yanked his ass out of there, and and it was really really cool to see that like you know, because I've been at other shows where the artist puts up with that shit. Yeah, like, like yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. More yeah. of a hassle to throw that guy out than whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. Uh, Disney is doubling down and says it won't rehire James Gunn. Yeah, well, they're stupid. Well, they were stupid for firing him in the first place, but as we've discussed on here. Again, if we're James Gunn, yeah, yeah, fuck those guys. Biggest right? favor they could have done. Yeah, you. absolutely. To, to remove you from that bloated machine mm. and let you do whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. Jurassic Park coming back to theaters in September for an anniversary. That's cool. Yeah, that, I, that, we just watched it on Netflix, and goddamn, that shit holds up. It, it's a great movie. The second movie. one doesn't, but the first one definitely does. Yeah. Because it Almost has that awe. Like it, you're it, in it, awe yeah, of the everything. the first time you see the dinosaurs, you're just like, yeah. what? And then in the in 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 some of the sequels, one, I don't think the dinosaurs were handled as well. Mm -hmm. um, we saw more of a reliance on CG. And there are a couple of moments in that second one, despite the fact that it's kind of a dopey movie. Uh, man, that Velociraptor thing in the in the weeds yeah with like going along Nothing and you just see these like you can see the trails of coming towards them, and it's yeah. like oh shit it's a Jaws moment right absolutely yeah absolutely uh, Chris Jericho cast in Kevin Smith's new anthology Kilroy was here what is that he's been working on this thing with he was down in Florida uh, volunteer or being paid to teach or be a part of some program, the uh -huh. film program down there at the Dave School, mm -hmm. and it ends up where he's down there and he realizes these people will work for free, and, <laughs> and so he's down there <laughs> making a, this anth horror anthology movie, which one of the things, one of the stories has to do with Krampus, because this movie was gonna be a Krampus movie. That's you know it's frustrated me because. In my mind, Brahms Krampus mm -hmm. is the definitive Krampus. Like, uh, you know, granted, it, it, it you know, it's, it's, it's from legend and myth, but 
I was so excited when the first when the uh, that movie Krampus was mm-hmm. coming out because I thought I thought somebody optioned the rights to this yeah no book and that's not the case um, yeah and and couldn't care less yeah because uh, you know it's gonna suck yeah oh uh, yeah because Kevin Smith I, dude like I really and I think we've talked about this before but <clears throat> I resent the idea that he thinks like horror is so fucking easy mm-hmm. um, so anyway uh, showrunner for the Exorcist TV show is writing the t- Tommy Knockers movie um, which I don't get I mean I understand the King Resurgence but Tommy Knockers like that's one it's, of the worst ones it's one of the least yeah I mean and we've had a Tommy Knockers already yeah, there was a there TV, the TV thing, series, but yeah. their argument, I guess, is they liked it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. They've been releasing these photos from it part two, mm-hmm. and they're putting the two, the older and the the kids and the adults together. It's kind of sure. cool. A USA Channel orders Treadstone to series a born Jason Bourne based uh, TV series. Like not about Jason Bourne, but about Treadstone it's, it's who in trained it's, it's them. It's in that world, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm sure we'll meet another Jason Bourne. Uh, I, I, I still maintain. Um, I liked it better when it was La Femme Nikita. Yeah, I the, think I yeah the I, movie. I think there's a lot of very cool fighting in in some of the Bourne there movies. There is. But, oh yeah. But other than that, I agree with you. Uh, Nicholas winning Refn launched his free cult genre film streaming service. So that's out there on the internet. It's cool. I don't know what it is. but I couldn't find a name of it. Okay. (laughs) Even in the article. (laughs) It was kind of weird. They announced also The Alienist is getting a second season to be called The Angel of Darkness. So The Angel of Darkness was the the follow-up book. The sequel to Caleb Carr's. Um, It was, you know, it's a completely different case, but it's the same characters mm-hmm. uh, that are investigating the case. Um, I'll be honest, I watched a little bit of The Alienist, and and it was good, and the only reason I didn't finish is because of time and schedule. It becomes that. You yeah. know, when you, and that's the, my argument with all this with TV. Like, I can sit down for two hours and watch a movie, but when I have to come back every week for an hour, it's yeah. just really hard. Um, this really blew me away. Two of my favorite shows on Netflix, the Michelle Wolf's The Break and Joel McHale's show both canceled. Wow. Yeah. they. I thought they were doing well and Netflix just said, nope. Turns out you were the only guy watching. Probably apparently. I was the only guy watching. <laughs> um, I'm going to skip that and come back to it. Production released a photo this week of Eddie Murphy as Dolomite. From, yeah. the, from the My Name is Dolomite yeah, movie, and he looks Dolomite. great. It looks great. I, I I am still looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, I mean, everyone like it was announced they were doing it. You didn't hear anything. It's essentially it's it's a biopic of Rudy Ray Moore, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. called My Name is Dolomite. Yeah, yeah. It is. Eddie Murphy's going to be awesome at, yeah. on that. I cannot. Wait. I hope this is. I hope this is to Eddie Murphy what uh, Boogie Nights was. To um, Burt Reynolds. Yeah. 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 Well, Eddie Murphy. There's no reason why this guy shouldn't like. They've, he was on Jimmy Kimmel talking about you know considering returning to stand up. I wow. mean, could you imagine him doing wow. stand up? 
Like doing another Raw or Delirious. Oh my God. Fucking amazing. HBO orders Watchmen to series. Um, Damon or Damon Lindelof. Um, that's the only. That's that's my only uh, trepidation on this is that he's involved. He's involved. Yeah. Um, that guy drives me nuts. They've mentioned they had a long cast. The highlights were Don Johnson, like Miami Vice uh, Don wait, Johnson. Wait, is Don Johnson gonna play? The comedian? I don't know. Oh, my God. Um, Regina King, Louis Gossett Jr. is in there somewhere. Hmm. I, uh, okay. <laughs> I guess. You know, Watchmen, sure. I mean, think, I think we, we kind of said everything with the movie. I, I do, too. Um, I, uh, um. It's like they want it to be something, and it's just not. I don't feel any heat behind this. When I talk to people. Right. No, I don't either. Well, I mean, it's not... Well, here's the difference. It's it's not like um, the Avengers or X-Men where it just, you know, it's a continuing saga. Right. It's like the Watchmen. It was a thing. It was a statement. It was a, a single... You know, it was a single punch. Whereas a series? I know. Well, you know, I, I think like what they're doing is is slowing everything down. Like, your, the reveals will come, like, one an episode, as opposed to the way they did in the film. Oh, maybe. I've also heard that there's talk that they, uh, uh, this is merely going to be set in the Watchmen universe. It's not an adaptation of the book. Okay. So, there's that. Right. Um, it'll, 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 it'll do well with people who are nostalgic for the 80s. <laughs> Uh, Bloomhouse seems to be going after the rights to every horror franchise you love. Yeah. They want, they, they've, they've admitted going after Friday the 13th. They're going after, uh, they've just landed Halloween. Um, and they're looking at everything you loved about the 80s and the 90s, and they're going to reboot it under their flagship. How about, how about hire some people to make some new shit? Yeah. Well, well I think that's part of what they're banking on is the name recognizability. And at the very least, people go, oh, I know, I guess I kind of know that. So they kind of want to go see it, it, maybe? It pisses me off when these guys, like, redo, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Why? Yeah. Why? What was so bad about that one? The first yeah, Exactly. One. I don't yeah. get it. And then finally, news that only I'm kind of excited about. CBS ordered to pilot a TV show called The Little Things. It's a kind of a situation comedy. But it stars uh, your mom's house, Tom Segura and Christina Pajitsky. And I'm a big Your Mom's House fan, and I think that's awesome that the mommies are getting their own TV show. Cool. Um, and we I, interviewed Christina I, for Copper Knockin' 20, and she was yeah, very nice. Very cool. Uh, your Mom's House is one of the dumbest podcasts ever, but it's completely endearing. It's They talk about their farts and stuff. Okay. <laughs> and it's great. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I know. Anyway, moving on to trailers. Uh, first step, a movie called AI Tales, um, low-budget sci-fi. Uh, this actually looked really cool. I thought so, too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was like, I was surprised. I'm like, what is this? Like, yeah. I, you've got me, you've got my interest. Yeah, it's super low-budget. Yeah. It is, but oftentimes that results in better storytelling. Because okay. you don't have the money for all the big flash. So you got to put your shit somewhere. Yeah, I um, as I compile this list every week, I I collect everything that's released that week into a hopper, and then I make a cut on it. Mm-hmm. And this one, I kept looking at, going, I should cut this, and then I thought, no, 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 no. no. And it ended up. This is exactly. I'm glad you liked it. 
this is ex exactly the type of thing that we uh, that I hope people go. Okay, this I've not heard of. I will check yeah. it out. And remember, go to my website um, on the show page, and there's there's a, a direct. You can watch all the trailers there, the playlist for all of the trailers there. Um, up next, a movie called Arizona. Danny McBride is a disgruntled homeowner taking revenge on his realtor. Um, looks cool. It, it, I, I'm going to say dark comedy. Way dark comedy. Yeah. Because it seems like he's... People are getting killed. Yeah. And yeah. he's... This guy has been sold this house in a tract home. Yeah. And been sold a bill of goods. And he's super pissed about it because he's sunk his entire life savings into yeah. it. And he begins to exact some sort of revenge. Kind of reminded me in a weird way of um, The Ref. Yeah. 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 Sort of. Yeah. Sort of, a of. little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, and didn't... You know. He's... he's He's, he's funny. He's funny. I he's, think he's this character also fits his personality. Absolutely. Really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Up next, uh, Climax. Gaspar Noe does a dance movie. This looks really cool. Really cool. Really cool. There, um, there's, there's allusions to um, drug use, and, and but... And at the same time, it's about dance. And you got to remember that this is the guy that directed Irreplaceable, and yeah. The Void, and I Stand Alone. Yeah, this is like, uh, and that and that other movie that was all about sex that they they just did Threesome or whatever I forget what it was called. It was just about uh, anyway. But this thing, it looks like one like um. It's like an art film. Yeah. Uh. But it's also it's hard to describe. Like you got to you got to watch the trailer. It's like yeah. if you're a dance fan, definitely. If you are um, into kind of like these, I don't know, uh, movies that explore like consciousness expanding and stuff. Again, gotta watch. Within it. I have no idea what this film was about, but within seconds of the trailer. I was in. Yeah, I'm like, I'm in. Yeah, it's like... Because I, I, it seems like such a weird thing mm -hmm. that got greenlit. Uh, up next, Danger One. Heist flick EMTs respond to an accident and they find a guy with a million dollars in cash on him. And he dies, I think, and they debate about whether they keep him. Kind of I, a... I, what I couldn't a get played from the, premise. What I couldn't get from the trailer it, it, was the money... In the guy? It looked like it was in his suit. Like in his okay, suit. And okay. he had stolen it. Not Because they, 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 there's an argument made in the trailer about like anyone... Who, this is mob money and they're not coming after right. it and blah, blah, blah. Wishful thinking. Yeah. Turns out it's not mob money. It's this one crazy dude that's been whatever. And he... Obviously, I, I included it because the setup seems super, super... You know, we, we've all seen the... Uh, armored car guys that happen right. upon money or whatever, but this had this kind of a neat twist to it. It does have a neat twist, and it 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 puts us in a situation where we have to ask ourselves, what would we do? Yeah, you know, yeah, that is it, the hard part. It's very tempting, right? Yeah, if and they play it, and it also is kind of a, I I, I don't want to say a dark comedy, but a uh, a comedic. Dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if that makes sense. Well, within the moment, yeah. It looks funny. Yeah, it looks interesting, yeah. and I think that it... Uh, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to search this out, but if I find it, 
in the course of my yeah. travels. I, mm-hmm. I, I'd, yeah. I'd watch it. It's sure. pretty cool. Um, up next, An Evening with Beverly Lufflin. This is the weirdest thing this I've seen <laughs> in a long time, but I'm so on it board. It stars Aubrey Plaza, who's already weird. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's... It's directed it, by the guy who did Greasy Strangler. Right. And so that should tell you it, everything it, you need to know. It's so... Just bizarre. Bizarre, I mean. and, and looks... incredible. If I had to, if I had to say one thing, incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, there's a lot this week that that yeah, it, this it, is it, actually a pretty good yeah. week. Um, I agree. I'm in across the board. Yeah. I haven't seen Greasy Strangler, but I'm I'm kind of in. This looks great. Uh, up next, Michael Moore's Fahrenheit eleven nine. Um, this is you know uh, uh, it's what Michael Moore does. Yeah, and I and I like Michael Moore. Um, I understand that he's not presenting... If I go see a Michael Moore movie, I know it's not a documentary in the true sense of the word. Right. Um, having said that, I'm excited to see somebody doing something mm-hmm. because we've entered this, this space where I think artists kind of have this idea that like people are so sick of all the crap and politics and stuff that they're, they're playing it safe. Mm-hmm. Um, with the exception of Pearl Jam, who put up that awesome poster the other day. Yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen. He's, yeah, he's yeah. definitely oh, not yeah, playing yeah, by oh, the His new thing is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but in general, we don't see we don't see the outrage that we saw during the Bush years. Mm-hmm. And we should like this. And is, we should. This is the time. Yeah, because we're so. I'm I'm happy to see this coming up. Agreed. Um, up next, Viggo Mortensen and Mahershali Ali in a movie called Green Book. This is this the, looks so good. This is the, in my opinion, the best looking movie of the bunch for yeah. this week. This will get you. And I had to look this up to make sure. You know who directed this? No. Peter Farrelly of the Farrelly Brothers. Wow. Of uh, you, me, and what is it? Me, Irene. You, me, and Irene. Me and Irene. Or, yeah. uh, there's something about Mary. Yeah. It's kind of booger. They were comedies. kind of. They were kind of like. Uh, they, they were the Three Stooges movie. Yeah, they were kind of like the Jed Apatow yeah. of what they were doing. It's like they did these comedies. This movie is... Looks amazing. It looks amazing. In a nutshell, Viggo Mortensen is an, a, a New York kind of tough guy. Yeah. And he's hired to drive... D- by the way, doing that role yeah. beautifully. Beautifully. Yeah. Hired to... To shepherd to drive this writer from one place to another, and the writer musician, is musician musician is a uh, uh, um, very cultured black right jazz, and they're in the they're in the driving them through the south in like the sixties. Yeah. it looks 60s so good. The colors pop. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Rum Diary. Everything's yeah. very colorful and beautiful. Both characters so seem to be. Learning something from each other, it, it it's kind of a kind of a driving Miss Daisy in a way, yeah. in uh, reverse, in a it, weird it, way, yeah, in, in a weird way, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm totally in. Also, um, the next trailer is the thing uh, Alfonso Guaran's Roma, shot in black and white. Oh my god. This thing looks beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know exactly what's going on. I have I'm assuming no, it reminds me of a Fellini film. It, it I'm assuming it has something to do with the plight of the of uh, the Roma people, mm-hmm. the, the gypsies. Um but I'm not 
I'm not 100% sure. It's just, it looks huge. It looks sweeping. It looks epic. Um, Shot in high contrast, black and white. Yeah. Beautiful. It, it looks gorgeous. And, and so weird in that it's not what you expect, given gravity right. or whatever else. Right. And then finally, Steve McQueen um, directing uh, Widows. Liam Neeson, Octavia Butler, I want to say. Uh, the it's a bunch of we've we've seen this we've seen trailer. a trailer for this before, but this is this is a uh, this uh, is more meat. Yeah, there's more meat there. It's um, it it is just that it's the widows of these guys that were part of a heist or or or, or at least some type of crime thing, and their goal is to finish the job. Well, she says at one point, my husband left me the plans for his last job. Yeah. And they executed it. They yeah. being her, Michelle Rodriguez, a couple of other people. Yeah. Uh, it looks great. It looks cool. Looks yeah. like Steve McQueen, who did 12 Years a Slave. Um, yeah, I'm in. I'm in on all these. Also, also the, uh, one of the other people behind it is, is uh, Gone Girl. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah uh, the um, person who wrote yeah, it or something like that. Yeah. Worked on it. Something like that. All right. So, a good week. Yeah, as far as that goes. Yeah. Good interview. Good yeah. week. We're, we're rocking. Yeah. Uh, what have we been watching? Anything? Uh, I, I've not this week. No, it's it's. I've been having to come in and and work has taken up all my time. Okay. Week, so. I managed to sneak in a couple of things. Number one, Dimitri Martin has a new special on Netflix called Overthinker. Mm-hmm. It's Dimitri Martin, and it's funny as hell. Mm-hmm. Very. You don't really laugh like knee slapper, but you no. go. <laughs> it's like Stephen <laughs> Wright. Kind yeah, of, it's yeah, very yeah. funny. Um, and then, uh, don't ask me why, but I watched Girl in the Gold Boots, the Ted V. Michaels movie. It was on uh, one of the net net. net Wait, uh, what? Yeah, it's on one of the um, Mystery Science Theater oh, episodes. Oh, dude. And it was great. Yeah. It was super fun. And I also watched 1961 English Irish collaboration. Gorgo. It's a gaiju. Gorgo, man. <laughs> Gorgo was great. It's the shit. It is the shit. Gorgo just wants to take care of its baby. And he literally does it. Spoiler. He like tears the city down and finds the kid and then goes, Alright, let's go, boy. Yeah, and they walk like off it. into the yeah. ocean. Yeah. Amazing. I love Gorgo. Um, what are you reading? Uh dude, I've been rereading all the Brom books. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna yeah. Uh, I did, I finished Andrew Vox's Strega. It's it's super satisfying. If you do not, he writes so well, and then the idea that you find yourself eerily kind of complicit in going like, yeah, like fuck that guy up, Burke, and he does, and, and then you're like, oh, <laughs> it's such a great character. I can't. I don't know why. It has to be that Andrew is really tight tight with it mm-hmm. why it's never been adapted yeah um, and after that I picked up um, Steve Berman edited something called Zombies Shambling Through the Ages and it's zombie stories from oh I've seen that yeah, yeah there, there's some good ones Ed Kurtz has a story in there some uh, that I haven't gotten to yet but like there's there's like zombie cavemen stories and zombies in sure. Venice in the 17th century or whatever, and, it, and it's quite good. Did uh, you ever see that zombie zoo movie? No, it's like all these zombie like. Animals. I blame Brian Keane for that. <laughs> Brian Keane did a story back years ago that had a zoo where yeah. the, all the animals had turned. <laughs> I blame you, Brian Keane. Um, what do you listen to? Uh, 
again, none of the time. Yeah, th- this this week has been about work, sleep, work, sleep, work, non-sleep. <laughs> Re- yeah. Uh, real quick, Ramin Jawadi, who did the score for Pacific Rim and Game of Thrones, and a guy named Brandon Campbell did a score for Slender Man, this HBO or this mm-hmm. movie that this terrible movie that's out. Yeah. The score isn't terrible. It sounds a lot like Ramin Jawadi. And then, uh, dude, they released every fucking Prince album to streaming. Yeah, that's cool. And there's records I've never even seen. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I fir- the one I started with is called Anthology 1995 to 2000, and it's a kicker. It's Prince. It's back when he <clears throat> used to say the N word and fuck mm-hmm. and swear, and mm-hmm. it's badass it's yeah. so badass uh a lot of comedy stuff that not really is worthwhile um alonzo bowden has a record out autumn ferrara adam ferrara has a new record out um dan st germain uh gordon baker bone and a, someone named joe firestone they're not bad and i'm digging through those um Henry Rollins interviews on the Church of What's Happening Now with Joey Diaz and then Rogan. I yeah. did the Joey Diaz one last night and it was fascinating. Yeah, um, Rollins has such a good he's, head he's, on his shoulders. He, yeah, he's 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 never. Um, I've seen him several times in different capacities, mm-hmm. and I've bought all the DVDs and stuff. And endless, he's endlessly. Um, interesting, and yeah. always has something good to say. Well, I love the attitude too, where he, where he was just talking about like meeting people. Like he doesn't, he won't listen to someone talk about, for example, like someone popping off about Syria. Right. He's like, I've been to Syria, and I met, I had a hell of a good time there. Yeah, and there's yeah, some yeah. Great people. Yeah, there. that's well, that and that's his big thing. It's like, shut up about places you don't know about. Right. Go. Yeah, yeah, Go yeah, 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 yeah. And he, yeah, he was talking about how like returning from Europe. With this tour, like he's just gonna—he's never been to Reykjavik, so he's like, "I'm gonna go to Reykjavik. I don't have any plans. I don't know where I'm gonna stay, yeah. but I'm going to Reykjavik." Yeah. Like, I got a joke for you. Oh, what concert only costs forty-five cents? Uh, Fifty cent with Nickelback. Oh man! <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> uh. We don't know what we're doing next week, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Thanks again to Brom. It'll be cool. Because Brom's the shit. Yeah, I mean, he is the shit. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to have him back on. Yeah. Uh, please go to our respective pages on Facebook. Go to our Patreon account. It's uh, patreon.com slash bonus material. Yeah. You always make that face when I you know, say I know. I always forget <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and sign up if you can. We, we keep promising content, but we're going to make good on it. I swear to God. And if you can, please go to Amazon and buy my books. New books coming out. Dread Central, supposedly, I'm I'm hearing this week, is going to print a review nice. of String of Pearls. So All right. Very I'll, cool. I'll be, be, be sure to share that. All right. So for the Bonus Material Podcast, I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. Stay scared.